Amen. What a sweet time to worship together, to gather together. This really is a privilege. Thank you for joining us uh, today and for joining in that, for contributing uh, to that sweet time of worship and prayer and looking to the Lord. Uh, we've got a great, um, a great service uh, planned and already sort of midstream here, but we're going to conclude the service with communion. We'll invite you to come up and come to the communion tables and to celebrate the finished work of Jesus. And just as a reminder, uh, you do not have to be a regular attender or a member of this church to celebrate communion with us. If you have a relationship with Christ, uh, that's good enough. The communion table is open to you, and we're going to celebrate uh, with you the finished work of Christ for you, his broken body and his shed blood as we do on a regular basis. We're also beginning a new sermon series today that we're calling Bible Heroes, and this is actually going to take take us through part of the Old Testament from Joshua to 2 Samuel uh, between now and uh, the Advent season, which is actually pretty ambitious. Uh, some of you have been tracking with us for a little while so that you maybe remember or know that last year we actually started a journey together that will be about five years of tracking through the entirety of Scripture. We are not going to go every single verse. We determined that would probably take us 50 years, uh, but we are going to cover in broad strokes the entirety of Scripture. And so we've gone through the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. We've done several New Testament uh, uh, books, and now we are actually going to be going Joshua through 2 Samuel in a series that we're entitling Bible Heroes, Flawed Leaders and a Faithful God. And it might be good for me just to note, uh, as you read through uh, the Bible, many of us are sort of surprised to find uh, that the heroes we encounter are not always as heroic as we maybe thought they were. Because when we teach kids, I remember in Sunday school, we would learn about like all these Bible heroes. And you know, you kids, you gotta be like Samson because he was strong in the Lord. And you gotta be like Gideon because he was a faithful leader and stuff. And it's true that God used these great men and women of the past in incredible ways, but it's also true that they were very flawed. You know, so you study the, the, the life of Samson and you go, uh, but what about this stuff over here? You look at Gideon as a great example of a faithful leader. We celebrate what God has done. You know, Gideon's life ended with him reintroducing idolatry back to God's people. I mean, so it was a total fail in some places. Flawed leaders and yet a faithful God. And it gives me actually a lot of hope because it encourages me in all the places that God is not still done working on me and the flaws that I bring into leadership, that God actually does use flawed leaders and that the perfect leader is ultimately Jesus himself. And so we celebrate that even. But so anyway, if, it, if you're wondering why we've entitled this Bible Heroes, Flawed Leaders, and a Faithful God, that's why. And uh, we also want to encourage you, we have uh, little these uh, bookmarks that actually have a reading plan so that you can read week by week and go through that whole thing with us. I know a lot of you have done that in the last uh, seasons that we have done this, and so we would just encourage you to do that again at the Info Center in the lobby. We have those uh, hanging out, and so we want to encourage you to follow along in reading with us. We will not be preaching every verse, but you certainly are invited to read every verse as we go through. Uh, so today's message is entitled, Courage Matters, and I'm going to ask you to turn to Joshua 1, a relatively familiar passage. If you have read through the Old Testament before, you've probably noted Joshua and his call to be courageous. Courage matters, and one thing that strikes me is that God uses all kinds of people to do all kinds of kingdom-building work. That was true in Bible times, that is true even to this day, and yet this is also true. It is rare to see obedience and leadership that does not require courage. 
And you're going to find that in your life today, that if you are going to be a kingdom builder, you're going to be on task with Jesus, on track with Jesus, you're going to be moving with him, there will be substantial seasons of your life that require courage. Courage matters. And we're going to look at that today as we prepare our hearts for the communion table uh, and we start this new journey, a new book in this journey through the entire Bible. So Joshua 1 is where we're going to be today. You can flip over there if you're not there yet. While you're turning there, I will note this one other thing about courage. Uh, They say there is a fine line between courage and stupidity. Anybody, does that resonate with you? You know, and, and immediately as I started thinking a little bit about this idea of the call to be courageous and the fine line between courage and stupidity, I was transported back to my childhood where I found many examples of both. You know what I mean? Like most of us, especially if we have a little bit of an adventurous spirit, we find opportunities to be courageous and sometimes we find that we were a little bit stupid in the process. I think that the difference is marked by wisdom and life experience. And so we do some stupid things until we gain a little bit more wisdom and life experience, and then we learn how to be courageous. I remember when I was a kid, the courageous thing that I, one of the courageous things that I endeavored to do was my friend and I were big fans of jumping our BMX bikes, and that sounds like we might have known what we were doing when I said it that way. I assure you we did not. Uh, there are kids, you can watch you know, ESPN and you can watch all of these extreme sports stuff today and you can see kids, little you know, young kids that are doing flips and turns and doing all this stuff. They, they know what they're doing. We did not know what we were doing, but we wanted to learn. And so we would build our own ramps and we would do things, we would do stuff at our house. I remember one time going to uh, my friend's house and I didn't have my bike with me, but he was like, oh, you can share mine because I built a great ramp in the backyard. He had taken a 55-gallon drum and just kind of flipped it over and then kind of put some two-by-fours and some things together, built his own ramp. And uh, he said, he said we're going we're gonna to do this jump together. It's going to be awesome or whatever. So he goes, I'm going to do it first. I'm just going to do it real slow. And I had this vivid memory of him kind of like going up and then kind of chickening out. Instead of really hitting the ramp, he just kind of like creeped up it and then totally tanked and somersaulted over the thing. So we learned that, you know, okay, this is going to take a little courage. I said, let me show you. I'll show you the way. Young, <laughs> young Padawan learner, let me, let me borrow your bike and I'll show you the way. And so I just get this vivid memory, you know, kind of getting my speed up and it says, you got to hit it fast and you just got to go and land it. So I, I, I go, I'm, I'm almost ready to hit the jump and I hear him yelling something to me and I was sort of like, I don't know what he's saying, but let's go. And so I hit the jump. So what he was yelling to me, because now you're wondering, was he was saying, be careful of the handle grip. I didn't, wouldn't have even known what that meant, but what it did mean was as soon as I hit it, the handle grip like popped off. <laughs> so now I'm midair, courageously flying through the air, and I actually had this moment to think to myself, can you land a bike jump with only one kind of handlebar? Some people probably can. I could not. And so I you know, crashed and wiped out and everything like that. But I had this memory. So courage and stupidity and the fine line between the two and the growing that we do. Life takes courage. Following Jesus takes courage. You're going to have to take some risks. And today, even as I, as I share this message with you, I just get you know, a couple images in my mind. Some of us need the courage to open up our hands a little bit and and not try to control every aspect of life. You know, that's that's sort of a thing that we do when we're fearful and we get tense and we we grip very tightly. And it sometimes takes some courage to say, God, I'm, I'm gonna trust you 
with this. I suspect some of you might experience that. Some of you might just feel the, the, the call to courageously step forward because you know God's calling you to a new level of obedience, a new level of discipline, a new level of ministry, and, and that takes courage. It always takes courage because as we're going to talk today, you're going to have to fight through the old nature. You're going to have to fight through cultural currents. You're going to have to fight through spiritual warfare and everything else, so it takes courage. So some of those images come to my mind as I think about courage. I imagine Joshua following this great leader of the Israelite people and he was part of that kind of younger generation that, you know, one of the few that was believing God for big things and now he's sort of coming to his time in leadership and yet having seen the difficulty that Moses has gone through and, and knowing that there is uncertainty, even though God, he's with, God is with them, but he doesn't know exactly what the future will hold as they go in, there is a call to be courageous and that's what we read in Joshua 1. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Verse 3 is one that you might want to highlight or underline. It says, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses, Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse 7 says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And then finally, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. As we talk about courage, I want to focus in sort of on three specific areas. A courage to take new ground is sort of the obvious application for Joshua. We're gonna talk about what does that mean for us because it's not the same thing, but there are similarities. Courage to do the next thing. This is more of what we would call a, a leadership kind of grid or emphasis, whereas the first one's more missional. And then the last one is the courage to invest in the next generation, which is a place of particular passion for me and I think of a particular importance for the church today. The first one is the courage to take new ground. Um, So God says to Moses, or God says to Joshua, he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. What does it mean for him to take the ground? Well, in this case, this was a military 
uh, removal of enemy people that were in front of them. This was a takeover. It was a hostile. In fact, we're going to talk in the coming weeks a little bit about how do we do business with sort of the violence involved in some of the Old Testament passages, including this one. I'll let you simmer on that a little bit, but let me simply uh, maybe prime the pump this way to say when we talk about being courageous, we do have a call to take back the ground that the enemy has taken. But the battle in the new covenant context is a spiritual one, not a physical one. The enemy that we face is primarily a spiritual one and not a physical one. That's why Paul says to the Ephesian church, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And so sometimes there's a weird conflation. People will go to Joshua as sort of a rah-rah, let's you know, rally the troops and we're gonna get out there and make a difference in the world, but it's almost like a, a cultural battle or a cultural sort of takeover sort of mindset or even sort of a justification for a physical sort of a colonization type of mindset. And that's not what we experience in a new covenant. What we do experience in a new covenant kind of looks like this. It's not a physical occupation, but rather a great commission that announces in all of the ground that we take that a victory has already been won. It is a setting free of spiritual captives and a coming to understanding that Christ has actually purchased a victory for them. It also takes courage because, and this, this sort of struck me maybe in a fresh way, you know, when you set out as a new covenant Christian, meaning that you are under the blood and the finished work of Jesus Christ, you're not earning your salvation, you're not earning your way into to God's presence, but in Christ, you've actually been granted access to the Father. Incidentally, that's what we celebrate at communion, that we are able to come to him with our needs, come to him with our brokenness, come to him with our hearts as they are, because what we rely on in terms of our standing with God is the finished work that Christ has done, not that we have earned. So we, we sort of understand that piece. When we set out to do that and to live on mission and in ministry with him and in the life of Christ, we will always find opposition. People tell me a lot of times, they just didn't think being a Christian was gonna be this hard. But the opposition is sort of universal. We see this. It's, you're always going to have to deal with your old nature. That's the sin nature in you. Just like Paul said in Romans, he said, you know, the stuff I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I want to do, I, you know, all of this was this a conflicted nature within him. You have that too. I have that too. That's always going to be part of the journey this side of heaven. You also see kind of a, a worldly current, if you will, that there's a cultural flow that always, move, always moves away from the, the flow of Christ. So you see this internal kind of opposition, you see this sort of cultural or worldly opposition, and then you see just spiritual opposition itself. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against powers and principalities. And so the work of God in you to take new ground and to be an ambassador for Christ is absolutely opposed. We shouldn't be surprised by that. We shouldn't be thrown off by that. We do have to work through it, and that takes courage. So in this last month, we've been praying over the whole community. Well, what are we doing? We're praying over street by street and home by home and neighborhood by neighborhood, and we're saying, God, your kingdom come and your will be done here 
Like we're actually saying that the sort of the territorial or regional aspect matters here, that we have a responsibility as the church and the ambassadors of Christ that we are impacting and taking the ground here, not physically, but in a spiritual sense. We announce the good news of the gospel to every person in every place, but we have a responsibility here first to our Jerusalem and then to our Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then if this phrase helps you, I wanted to share it with you. Uh, one thing that our district superintendent, his name is Nate Howard. Some of you know Nate and Sharon Howard, wonderful leaders that God has given us in our district. We just are so grateful for them. Nate is basically like my pastor, you know, right? So he pastors me and our team and oversees the churches in this region. And one of the things that he has been sharing with our district that has really resonated with our staff and certainly with me personally is what would it look like for the churches in this region to own the, this is the phrase, to own the lostness of that region. In other words, like not to see ourselves as sort of sequestered or walled off from our community, and I do understand how that can be a temptation to say, like, oh, I just want some, some sort of safe and holy space, right, where I can just be kind of with me and Jesus and everything, and, and that's a beautiful thing that we have encountered here, but the, the phrase is to own the lostness of our region, to, to not be willing to simply sit back and say, well, I guess I'm not gonna pray about that. I'm not gonna lean into that. I'm not gonna be part of the solution there because we believe that God has redemptive work that he wants to do. So when the churches own the lostness of their region, they're actually positioned then to be redemptive agents in Jesus' work. So when we talk about the courage to take new ground, that meant something very important in Joshua's day, and he needed courage to do it. And it means something really important in our day today as well. And we need courage to do that. The second one is this, the courage to do the next thing. Um, let, let, me, let, let me illustrate it this way. So when we were in sort of the throes of early COVID time, which was not a fun season for any of us, none of us liked, especially those of you who are trying to lead uh, and make decisions, we dealt with decision fatigue. I mean, it was just a really difficult thing. One of our staff uh, members uh, initiated a discussion with us that uh, quoted Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley had given this quote and he was talking about leadership and he actually referenced Joshua here. This idea is, uh, it, it's the, the courage to do the next thing. It, it kind of goes like this, the argument goes like this, that in life, people clamor for certainty, right? You, you hear this all the time. I wanna know what's gonna happen next. I wanna know what's gonna happen next. Tell me what's gonna happen next. You're the leader, tell us what's gonna happen next. And the fact of the matter is, you can't. You can't, I can't give you ultimate certainty about what is gonna happen in the next. I can't even tell you what's gonna happen before this day is ultimately over. So when you're in the middle of a crisis and people say we want certainty what's gonna happen, the message was this, you can't give certainty, but as a leader, you must give clarity. Many of you are leaders, and I'll tell you, this is a great leadership principle that we have come back to many times, and this is exactly what Joshua did. Take a look at Joshua 10. We're gonna just read a little bit farther from where we left off. It says, Joshua ordered the officers of the people, and we have this up on the screen, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So what did Joshua do? This, this is such a beautiful example. 
he couldn't give full certainty to say this is exactly how it's gonna happen, this is the timetable in which God is gonna do it, but here's what he said. Tell the people we're gonna cross right here. Not over there, not over there, it's gonna be here. He's giving clarity. It's not gonna be five days from now, it's not gonna be two days from now, it's gonna be three days from now. So you need to tell the people this is when it's going to happen. What's he doing? He's providing clarity. This is such a leadership principle for us. What are we going to do next? What are the goals that we're trying to meet? What are we learning even in our discomfort? And these were the sort of things that God allowed us to sort of stay anchored even in the midst of uncertainty because he, we knew that our job in leadership was let's as best as we can and by God's grace to provide clarity. This is one of the most thing, important things you can do as you lead. And we've got leaders all through this church, but even as you lead in your family, in your work, on your team, in your sphere of influence, when people are looking to you and you can't give them certainty, Give them clarity. This is the courage to do the next thing. That's gonna change the way that you go about your leadership even in the coming week. What can I do to provide clarity for where we go next? Uh, the third one is this, a courage to invest in the next generation. So whereas we see kind of this missional emphasis of the taking of new ground and a leadership emphasis of having the courage to do the next thing, the courage to invest in the next generation. Uh, the following verses, when you get down to about 16, there, this is a critical point, right? So like the leadership change is happening. Moses is dead. He's gone. And now this new leader is emerging and he's got to take them in. I don't know exactly what that would have felt like for Joshua, but I imagine he probably had some, some anxiety. I imagine he probably had some questions. He's seen how hard this can be. He's seen how hard this people can be. So now he's got to step up. And there's this beautiful moment in verse 16. It says, then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. That's a little bit, I, I would have a little bit of a question with the fully obey part, but let's just keep moving. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. It's verse 17. Now there's, a, there's just so much that I would love to unpack with this. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna try to go sort of quickly. But this is one of the real positive leadership transitions in our Bible Hero series. And you, may, you might contrast this with what is coming in the generational tensions that we see in things like, oh, I don't know, the life of Saul and David. If you read through it, and maybe you haven't for a little while, that was not an easy transition. That was not a peaceful transition of power. The first kings of Israel, we'll get there in time. But it actually leads us to what I think is a vitally important challenge for the church today. The generational blessing and the transition to be faithful in one generation and to invest in the next generation, this will determine where we go. This will determine much of the foundation that God will choose to build here. Let me illustrate it to you this way. First of all, Moses and Joshua, um, I've, I've read this, I've shared this passage before. In Exodus 33, it's verse 11. Uh, it talks about Moses going into the tent of meeting. 
And, and things are happening there. He's talking with God face to face. And Moses is developing intimacy as he speaks friend with friend. And this intimacy was cultivated in a way that would spill over into leadership. And all of that is really powerful. And then almost parenthetically, it says that Moses wasn't alone in the tent. Nobody else was going in there with him except for this little kid named Joshua. And all that it really says about that is that Joshua would not depart from the tent. That he would go in and he would sit and he would be with Moses. He would observe him and Moses would would bring him in. There is this beautiful thing. Why was Joshua ready to receive this call to be courageous and to step up in leadership? Well, he he had sat in the shadow. He had sat in the waiting. He had learned humility and he had learned patience. He had learned all of this stuff so that he would be ready to lead. I want to just give you a couple of notes to write this down. It's so vitally important. I don't care if you're 99 years old or 19 years old or younger or old or whatever. To be faithful in my generation, that should be your prayer. Write that down. Lord, help me to be faithful in my generation, that everything you ask me to do, I want to do. Everything you ask me not to do, I don't want to do. The adjustments you ask me to make, help me to be flexible. Help me to lead well. Help me to lead with integrity, to be faithful in my generation. And then here's the second one. And this is, here's the tricky thing. The more you care about the first, the more you have to be aware of the second. The second is this. Lord, help me to invest well in the next generation. We talk all the time about the importance of being a next generation church. You see, Moses gave leadership. He didn't give perfect leadership, but he gave passionate leadership. It was Moses who very easily could have said to God, what do you mean I'm not going into the promised land? Like Moses was the guy, he said, I I was the one you called. I was the one who stepped forward. I took the risk. I stood up to Pharaoh when you called me to do that. I, I know it was your glory and everything, but you used me to do this. I was the one who led these people. I was the one who put up with all of the shenanigans. I was the one who said to you, don't destroy them for the sake of your glory and your name. And now I don't get to go into the promised land. He could have had that. You see, if you're passionate about what you're doing, it's hard to say it's time for the next generation to go. But here's what, here's what you'll find, and this is why this is so critical. I don't care just for our church. This is for any church, any gathering where people love Jesus. If you have faithfulness in your generation and you have genuine investment in the next generation, you will find joy, listen to these words, in building and giving a foundation that will outlast you. And if you hold it with the death grip, it might die with you. And I've never talked to anybody who said, yeah, that's actually what I want. But it's hard sometimes to let go, especially when you care, especially when you've been faithful in your generation. So I'm getting a little older. I find that to be true all the time. I look in the mirror and it tells me so. I also see it in things, I've shared this with you before, when I, when I find myself appreciating things like, oh, that wood grain is really nice, or that nicely manicured lawn, I've had some fun with realizing, like, these are old man words coming out of my mouth. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
But I'm also, I also say that, and I'm actually saying it with joy, I'm not saying it as a lament, but I'm saying that because I am seeing the next generation, my own children, and I'm seeing children of my friends who are coming into these kind of pivotal high school and college age years where they're already in a place where they're starting to kind of be kingdom builders in their own way. I mean, they may be just getting started, but they're, they're actually doing it. They're actually developing a heart for passion for Jesus and thinking about mission and living on mission with him or whatever. So it's easy, you know, when you look at that, you go, whoa, I'm, I'm getting older. It is time, listen, I would even say it this way. If you're over the age of 35, you should be thinking about next generation. If you're the, over the age of 35, maybe, maybe, maybe even younger than that, you should be thinking about what does it mean to invest seriously in the next generation. Some of you are like, 35 is long gone. That's all right. And it's not too late now to start investing in the next generation and to praying as if that matters, to pray as if what God does in that next generation should Jesus tarry in his second coming is vitally important to the life of the church. Don't hold your place, quote unquote, too tightly. Give it away. Take a risk. I'm gonna give you an example. I just heard this story this week and I thought, well, I'm going to share that with, with our congregation. In the 1970s, some of this stuff is stuff that I knew, but there were nuances I did not know, and that's what I'm sharing with you today. In the 1970s, God was doing some incredible things at Penn State University. It was sort of the Jesus movement was really on fire, and uh, many universities like Penn State were just growing. A lot of people coming to faith in Christ. Uh, some of you remember that time. You, you remember uh, what that was like. Campus Crusade uh, at the time, now called Crew. Um, had the largest gathering in the nation right in our backyard here. It was at Penn State University. And as the spiritual needs were increasing and a lot of people just kind of looking for truth in Christ and finding life in Christ and as a real movement of God, uh, this story unfolded, and this is what I did not know, that some higher-ups from Penn State actually went to some churches in this community and said, would you be willing to help us start some student organization stuff to help minister to the spiritual needs of students at Penn State? One church that they had this conversation first, um, that at the time a strong church and doing well and a lot of things were, were going well for that church and, and so they got this kind of ask first. And the leadership said, you know, we actually don't think that's the right thing for us and we kind of like what we're doing and the, you know, we, we've got, we're busy and we don't have time to start a new thing and that whole investment is not one that we want to make or whatever. Um, and, and I say this a little bit cautiously because I don't think that there's always you know, one-to-one correlations. But that church, just for, as point of fact, is now closed. They're no longer here. Um, when they were closing, and this is the part that I did not know at all, if I had been a fly on the wall, it would have been interesting. But somebody who was there said that their district leadership came in and was talking to them and actually used that example that I just told you about as an example of a missed opportunity to have invested in the next generation. Okay? So now at the time, they were saying, we're probably going to be closing this church down. But as we look back over the last now 50 years or whatever, it seems like we were missing opportunities to really invest in the next generation. 
And then their district leadership, I don't know the names of the people, whatever, this is what they said. They said, another church in this town actually stepped forward and said, we do want to invest in the next generation. And they were talking about you. They're talking about this church. Using that as an example of saying like, you know, God's been blessing them in a lot of ways over these last 50 years. Is it a one-to-one thing? No, the ways of God are deep. There's a lot of factors that go into it. But when I heard that, I thought, wow. First of all, there's no reason for most of us here to be prideful at all about that because almost all of us were not around when those decisions were being made. Some of you were. And to you, I would say, thanks for taking a risk. Thanks for being faithful. In that season when God was working and stirring in the hearts of leaders at the time, I talked to some of the folks after the first service who were here then. They were helping make some of those decisions and they were saying things like, you know what, we're gonna start Nittany Christian. That was the same, same year. They started Nittany Christian School and they started Alliance Christian Fellowship at Penn State and other things. That What they were saying is the next generation matters. And we're not gonna reach it perfectly. No church is ever going to. But we are gonna make an effort to reach it. And they were faithful in their generation. That story really blessed me. And it came, I came away with this idea, I'm thinking about Joshua and thinking about Moses, just with this reality. If we do not empower the next generation, they will not be ready to lead with courage when their time comes. So let's take it seriously. Let's take it seriously for the glory of God. And I think it gladdens his heart when we don't hold things so tightly. Say we want to share. We want to bless. I want to give you one last thing. This is just getting you ready for communion. So here's what we're going to do. Um, uh, Worship team, why don't you guys come on up and then anybody that's helping with communion, you guys can jump in your places. We'll... we'll, uh, welcome you in a second but I want to just point you out to point out one more scripture to you real briefly before we do this in Joshua 5 if you go ahead a few chapters um, there's this really interesting account that happens and this is right before the fall of Jericho and it says that Joshua now he's now he's on the job and he's doing his leading and he's courageous and he's stepping forward it says Joshua was near Jericho and he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand and Joshua went to him and said are you for us or are you against us and the response is interesting because the the person says neither (laughs) he actually says that neither and he replied but as a commander of the army of the Lord I have now come And Joshua falls face down on the ground in reverence and asks him, what message does my Lord have for his sermon? Um, There are different commentaries on who that is and what that is. Several people uh, have commented believing that this is a pre-incarnate encounter with Jesus Christ himself, commander of the Lord's army. Um, But the question is telling. The question that we will explore in the coming weeks is not whether God is for us or against us, which is what Joshua asked, hey, are you for us or against us? Uh, but rather, are we with him? That was kind of the question. And so Joshua finds himself humbled before. In communion, we are remembering the finished work of Jesus. We are reaffirming our withness, that he is with us and that we are with him. If you're in Christ today, that is the statement. We're with him. If you haven't made a commitment of your life to Christ, 
make that the first priority. Like, make that the, the courageous step of faith today because Scripture actually says you don't want to come to the communion table. You're acknowledging a sacrifice you haven't yet received. And we always love to say that's not a prohibition. That's actually a wonderful invitation to say make that the priority today. To bow your knee before the lordship of Jesus, confess your sin before him, receive restoration for him, receive his finished work for you. Don't run to the communion table until you've run to the Savior. And then when I think about like courage and Christ, and I think about like the, the perfect leadership of Christ, the only one to have ever battled the, the inner, the, the, uh, the forces from outside, spiritual warfare, the culture of this world, and to emerge victorious over all of them. It's his track record, track record that we fall on today. The one who perfectly invested into that which would come and shared his glory. So that's what I'm doing, sharing, I'm raising up a church to reflect my glory. So as you come to the communion table, remember Jesus and you find courage when you look at him. You look at his finished work. Paul writes, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Like just talk about courage. Talk about courage picture Jesus in the garden he's saying Jesus if this or he's saying God if this cup could be taken from me but not as I will but as you will your will be done uh, he knew the pain of the physical breaking of body but that he knew the pain of separation from God he knew the pain that the weight of our sin would bring and in the same way after supper he took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood you are new covenant believer if you're in Christ today that's why we use that phrase. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to invite you in this time. This is your time just to, to be still for a moment, to do some business with the Lord. Do I have sin that needs to be confessed? Probably, right? I mean, I, I got junk most days, right? So I deal with, I deal with that. Lord, I've fallen the finished work of Jesus, the perfect track record. I remember your broken body, your shed blood for the forgiveness of my sin. And I receive that again today. Do I have some direction that I need, some correction that I need? Probably. Do I have things I need to receive from him uh, in, the, in the sweetness of his presence, in the withness, in the communion with him to say, Lord, I would open my hands to receive from you as you pour out over me. Maybe somebody needs a healing work today. Maybe somebody needs some guidance or encouragement today. Maybe you're in a place, you know, think about Romans 8, 26. Basically says sometimes we're in a place that we don't even know how to pray. But in those moments that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Maybe you're in that place today. To just say, as I come in, celebrate the finished work of Jesus, I, don't, I can't even put words to what I'm feeling. And yet I know the Holy Spirit intercedes for me. That's a witness moment. So I want to encourage you to take some time. The team will sing a song over us. And then when you're ready, you can make your way up to uh, one of these tables. If you need a gluten-free option for uh, communion, it's the farthest one over here where Amy is standing. And uh, we're here just to 
to welcome you and to tell you the body of Christ is broken for you blood of Christ shed for you and uh, of course if we can help you or guide you we certainly will do that but this is your time to come and to celebrate and to remember communion you can do intinction which is the ripping of the bread and the dipping if you would prefer something that's a little less hands-on we have the the double stack of cups that has both the the juice and the, the cracker beneath so that's all the instructions Jesus thank you for the courage that you have shown courage like we have never seen before courage that took you to the cross and bought our redemption courage that brings you to the place of saying this is my church that I love even in her imperfection and brokenness Jesus the courage that you showed to say I will allow my perfect track record to be imputed to those who do not deserve it Lord I pray that there might be a courageous response in our hearts to say we would receive that which is offered to us we do not keep you at an arm's distance we receive from you today what can wash away the my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus and we remember that today in Jesus name when you're ready we'll see you at the communion table